You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. There's a meme that's pretty common on TikTok. It's about leaving a part of yourself behind, temporarily, while you go to a new place. So, you know, it might be like you're going to a party and it's like my anxiety or something or like me going to my job at a tech company and the thing I'm leaving behind is like my social justice beliefs. In each video, TikTok users write the characteristics they're leaving behind and then they put them up on screen. Then they lip sync these words. I'll see you after the function. Louise Matsakis is a staff writer for Wired. She described this meme to me because she recently came across a version of it on TikTok that surprised her. The video shows a man carrying what looks like a bundle of clothes. So it looks like he is like in some sort of maybe like storage room. The walls are gray and white cinder blocks, so he's clearly in some kind of institution. And there are characteristics that he puts on screen, the ones he says he wants to leave behind. My gay mannerisms when I'm going into prison. Huh, okay, so he's basically saying that he's going to leave behind his more so-called feminine mannerisms and butch it up while he's in prison. Exactly. That was kind of the joke was like, I have to do that because the environment of prison is where like that kind of masculinity is so prized. What surprised Louise was that the video had been filmed and uploaded from inside a prison. It was super funny, um, also a little dark, um, but just really interesting. And of course, I was like, how is he making this? Thousands of users commented on the video, and many of them had the same question. It was incredibly popular. Like, I think at that point, it had already been viewed a couple of million times. It had hundreds of thousands of likes. Um, And I was just so curious about whether there were other inmates um, posting like this or if this was kind of an isolated case. Cell phones are actually considered contraband in prison. So how are folks who are incarcerated posting on TikTok? And why are they doing it? That's today on the show. I'm Ariel Zimros. This is Reset. Louise Matsakis started looking through the prison TikTok hashtag for a piece she wanted to write for Wired. So the way that TikTok works is that it's a platform that's extremely good at kind of grouping people by their identity. So because I interacted with this video and looked at that person's profile and watched some of his other videos, the app was like, oh, she likes this. And I actually started seeing a lot more people who are part of prison TikTok on my For You page. So, you know, inmates from all over the country doing all sorts of things, you know, lots of funny dances. Hmm. So very quickly, I became kind of like, you know, more immersed in that corner of TikTok. 
And she soon realized that a lot of the videos coming from the prison TikTok corner of the app were pretty typical. They looked like a lot of the other things on TikTok. Lots of dances, lots of skits. All right, this is how you have prison edition. Which are, you know, super classic for basically every single part of TikTok. Have you ever been in love with another inmate? There's also a lot of just basic information about how people cook. There's an extremely viral video that has, I think, over 10 million views where it's a group of inmates explaining how they made a bootleg phone charger to actually charge the cell phone that they were using to post the video itself. Man, it's a lot of people asking about how we use this phone, how we charge this phone. This is how we do it, bro. And the videos are super popular with millions of views. I think that there's just something really appealing about these videos, even if like, you know, the actual quality of them is not super high because this is a population we never really hear from. So people are really interested when they realize that these are incarcerated people posting these videos. And like, maybe we should be asking why we don't often see these kinds of candid snapshots of life in prison. What it says most clearly to me is how much effort correctional leaders and legislators have put into making prisons shut off from the rest of the world. Nazgul Gandnush is a senior research analyst at The Sentencing Project, a criminal justice reform nonprofit. She says the penalties for being caught with a phone in prison can be pretty high. You can get charged with a misdemeanor or a felony, depending on what jurisdiction you're in. And at the very least, you're going to lose good time credits or harm your chances of parole. There are a few reasons why prison administrators and legislators have made these phones illegal. Because they can't be monitored the way that the formal phone system can be and the way that letter communication can be, then they can be used to organize crime. They can be used to manage drug sales. They can be used to arrange and coordinate acts of violence outside of prison walls. So basically, the way that prisons are supposed to block people off from the outside world and prevent them from committing whatever harm they're doing... Contraband phones make it harder to contain people and separate them from the rest of the world. Nazgul says that's a valid concern to have when the calls that are made on these phones aren't being monitored. But there are other incentives at play. In prisons and jails across the country, private companies provide landline phone services for a price. Usually, these calls cost between 10 and 25 cents per minute, plus additional fees. So it's not unusual for family members who are very connected to their incarcerated loved ones to have phone bills that are like $500 a month. The prison phone companies share a portion of that revenue with the prison facility itself. So the company says, we're going to charge this fee that's quite high and we're going to give you a slice of it. So it's essentially a way of taxing incarcerated people who are some of the poorest people in our society during the period that they're incarcerated. The terms of these contracts can be pretty lucrative for the prisons. In some cases, the private phone companies hand over 95% of the revenue they earn from phone calls. That's money prisons and jails wouldn't have if the people who are locked up were allowed to bring their own phones inside with them. And there's another reason why prison officials might not want to have phones on the inside. Contraband cell phones in prisons make it harder for prison officials and legislators to contain information about 
the poor prison conditions that people are living in. And so the way that prisons have become much harder to access for media in in recent years, and it's gotten a little bit better, but there's still a lot of barriers so that we don't get a lot of windows into what happens really. But cell phones allow people that are incarcerated to bypass those obstacles. And and legislators don't like that. and, And prison officials don't like that. Louise Metsakis, the Wired reporter, says that these days, a lot of these revealing and even troubling glimpses of prison life are popping up on TikTok. It's definitely not just dancing. It's also activism. It's speaking up about prison conditions and lately discussing the coronavirus pandemic. Some of the biggest clusters of COVID-19 are now inside prisons. And a lot of people inside these facilities are really scared of getting sick. They're seeing people who are getting sick. Um, so they're, you know, discussing their fears. So the coronavirus is going around and there's tons of people in federal prison that are locked up that are going to die if it gets into these prisons, which it already has. One guy who was discussing how a famous rapper got released, you know, because he was like, I have asthma, I'm scared of getting sick. And, you know, this inmate was like, that's BS. You know, there's lots of people inside my facility with pre-existing conditions that are far more serious than asthma. 50 plus guys in the facility that I'm at that have cancer, heart disease, lung disease, diabetes, etc., that are still stuck in here rotting right now. And if you think that that's messed up, just like this video and share it so that hopefully someone that matters can see it because we need to stop this shit right now. A lot of TikTok influencers are often just posting about, you know, everyday conditions. Like there was a video I saw of an inmate who indicated that he was in Mississippi and it was just a bathroom where there was water coming from the ceiling. And he was like, we haven't been able to shower for days because the bathroom is broken. And he was just trying to spread awareness about that very basic stuff. 80 people share this, man. Three stars, man. This is what we all share right here, man. 80 people, man. We need y'all help. Sometimes I think that incarcerated people are not believed or it's really hard for these accounts to get out. So I think that they turn to contraband cell phones because it's just, you know, evidence you can't deny. Like, here is a video of what's happening. How can you really dispute that? So TikTok is driving awareness. But for me, watching prison TikTok makes me feel sort of conflicted. Because even though a lot of these videos are full of joy and they're fun to watch, I can't help but think about the fact that the person I'm seeing dance or sing or just express themselves isn't free. They're confined. And if they get caught with these phones, they might have to stay in prison even longer. So how does that work? What's driving the use of contraband cell phones in prison? That's after the break. This is Reset. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. 
so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Adnan Khan spent most of his adult life behind bars. A total of 16 years since the age of 18. Okay, so just so people don't have to do the math, how old were you when you were released? 34. And Adnan witnessed a huge shift in technology over those 16 years. In 2003, texting wasn't even that, that popular. Yes, it was happening, but you would still just call people. Then, you know, when I was, again, when I was incarcerated, like 2003, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, obviously TikTok, like Snapchat, these things weren't a thing. Before he ended up in prison, Adnan had been having a hard time. His mother moved away, and the uncle he was staying with kicked him out. So he was homeless for a while, and getting by wasn't easy. So one night, he and a friend decide to steal some weed from a drug dealer. It was supposed to be a snatch and grab. They take the weed from the dealer and hand it to a getaway driver. Uh, None of us had guns, knives, or weapons. Uh, That was the rule. Just once he hands it to me, run into a car. Things didn't go according to plan. The getaway driver and the drug dealer got into it. There was an altercation. I remember getting out of the car and yelling at him, telling him to get back in the car. What are you doing? And we leave the scene the next morning. I was uh, arrested and taken into the interrogation room. And that's when the detective uh, told me that I'm being charged with robbery and murder. That's when Adnan says he learned what really happened. The driver had stabbed the drug dealer with a concealed knife and the drug dealer died. And as soon as I heard that, I just broke down crying. I couldn't believe it. I just, it just didn't make sense to me what, what took place, what happened. just didn't make sense to me. And soon I learned about what's called the felony murder rule, which means that if you're involved in a felony, my case, which is the robbery, I was equally guilty of the murder and equally uh, sentenced. While he was waiting in jail for his trial and sentencing, Adnan tried to keep in touch with his siblings. At that time, when I went in, all I had was my, my sisters, who were 20 and 17, and I, I was 18. And um, when I would call them, like I, I would have to call one of them. And I would have to only call one and then see quickly how they're doing. The judge handed down a sentence of 25 years to life, and Adnan was moved to a maximum security prison, where communication with the outside world was also a challenge. To keep in touch with his sisters, Adnan used the prison landlines. The phone that the the prison gives is 15-minute phone call. So a 15-minute phone call that's consistently interrupted by... This call will be recorded and monitored. You'll be in the middle of a conversation and it's almost like a jolt. That that voice will come up or that automated recording will come up. So so 15 minutes, it's very, very difficult to, for one, sustain a relationship and further develop one. We would lose that familiarity with each other. We We were growing. Like I said, I was 18 when I went in. My sisters were 20 and 17. And five years later... Just just different phases in life, and it's hard to catch up. It's like, wow, where did time go? And who are you now? You know, like we didn't, we actually didn't know who we were, who each other were. And then when the when I learned about cell phones, it, it provided somewhat of a hope to communicate with my my sisters. 
Adnan didn't want to tell me how he got his hands on his first contraband cell phone. He said he didn't want to get anyone in trouble. But he remembers the first night he brought it back to his cell. This was around 2007. I just remember it, it just being a flip phone. Uh, it was silver. It had a very small screen in the middle. At that time, I was like, wow, this is pretty thin because I was used to those in, you know, two, early 2000 Nokias. He showed the phone to his cellmate. My, my, my cellmate at that time, he was very similar to me. He was young. He was serving a life sentence. Um, and he hadn't seen or heard from his family in like five years after he was transferred to state prison. I remember like I showed it to him. He's like, what is that? I was like, it's a phone. And he just didn't, this is, you know, I don't know, just like kind of a shock. And I was like, here, call your family. He got on the phone and just was stuck for a second because he didn't remember anybody's number. He's a person who had disassociated himself from his family. Um, because of his life sentence, similar to what I was thinking of mm-hmm. doing. And so he didn't have number uh, number to his friends or his family at all. But out of just pre- punching numbers, getting a couple of wrong numbers, he found one of his friends somehow, some way with, with one of the numbers that he remembered. And then it took about an hour or two just by contact this person, contact this person, where he contacted his brother. But he really just wanted to talk to his mom. And then he got his mom's number. She picked up. He just said hi. And, you know, like basically, I'm um, this is who I am, your son. And he just started crying. And I'm standing by the door and looking out the window, just making sure our officers aren't walking by or whatever, just trying to hold back my tears. You know, it's a toxic masculinity prison. We're young. We're serving life sentences. We don't want to sound weak to each other in that moment back then. But uh, it was hard to really hold in. And, and, you know, like he was saying things like, you know, mom, I'm sorry. You know, like things like that. Like, this is not your fault. I'm sorry. Like, it was just hard for me to hear that while I'm standing with my back to him looking out the door. After he got off the phone, he just took a, you know, wiped his tears and just took a deep breath. I remember him like smiling and it felt like to me, you know, if I may jump out and speak for him, like it felt like to me, it was such a burden off of his heart and more like the healing process started to begin. Like just, just like was initiated. It really felt like that to me. After his cellmate was done, Adnan got his sisters on the phone. It was just really, really good to, after five years by then for me, to talk to them for longer than 15 minutes on the phone. And it was just, we were just, just, and we were just enjoying each other and we felt like we were kids again. But over time, over the next several, course of the next several months, we started to really dig deep on the trauma and the healing and the you know, if I may use the term rehabilitation for, for us as a family and us as individuals within the family. Adnan even got in touch with his mother, who'd moved out of state when he was a teenager. And he learned a lot about her and gained a better understanding for why she left. It was through a cell phone where, where I started to like really have these tough conversations of how I felt neglected by her. So, you know, and I used to resent my mother growing up because of certain situations that I felt she either didn't have my back or for whatever reason, you know, and while I was struggling with the neglect from my actual father and, and, and abuse from my stepfather. And so I ended up learning a lot about my mom and honestly her childhood and the trauma she went through as a child. And not some, a lot of my, if not all my resentment I had towards her because I started to empathize with what she went through. They spent hours on the phone. What the cell phone did for me and I keep, you know, we keep using the word cell phone like it was the phone itself. And obviously what, what I'm really talking about is, is a form of communi- consistent communication. 
and, and a safe space to have that communication and, and, and which creates community, which creates like uh, togetherness. And then one day, Adnan got caught. It was a heartbreaker. It, it was. It was. It was in my cell. They were doing major cell searches and they came. They, they swept the whole area. Um, and it, 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 I just got caught. Because Adnan was already facing life in prison, his punishment didn't lengthen his sentence. Instead, prison officials took away his right to use a TV, a radio, the things he used to spend the time from day to day. They also limited the amount of time Adnan was allowed to leave the cell each day. The punishment lasted 90 days. But it was the emotional toll of losing his ability to call his family without restrictions that hit him the hardest. The cell phone withdrawal was the hardest withdrawal I've ever experienced in my life because I was finally getting healing and it just felt like a huge like and I understand that it it was illegal the phone was illegal it's contraband but what it was doing for me was very powerful in my opinion so a few days later I ended up getting another phone and just continuing that program for a little while Adnan kept using a contraband phone but in 2009 he decided to stop using cell phones altogether I didn't want to get any trouble and I didn't want to get a write-up, a write-up which would mean that forget the 90 days with no TV radio, that's one thing, but I didn't want to eventually get a write-up and get denied at the parole board. With the time left on his sentence, that parole board could be more than a decade away, but having a phone just didn't seem worth the risk to him anymore. Even though the decision made being incarcerated a lot harder on him and his family. And it was a big, big dent in my relationship with my family, a big you know, it separated us. But it was a sacrifice, I guess, you know, that I had to make. And um, I'm out here now, I think, large part because of that. The other reason for Adnan's early release? A law he helped pass while in prison. In 2017, during his incarceration, he co-founded a prison reform nonprofit called Restore Justice. One of its goals was to change the law that led to Adnan's life sentence. And they succeeded. In 2018, the California legislature passed a law that made it possible for Adnan to go through a re-sentencing. The judge reduced his sentence from a life sentence to just three years, and he was immediately released in January 2019. Today, Adnan still heads up Restore Justice, and he's working on criminal justice reform, including the prison phone systems. We want to, like, like, tell society that a cell phone is not danger to to society. It's actually a, a, a huge contributor to healing and public safety. And it doesn't make sense initially when you say that sentence, oh, cell phones are, are contributing factors to public safety. But when you really go get into it and you understand, like, you know, even from my personal expe- perspective that I shared, uh, my experience, I mean, that I shared with you, that what the wonders that has done for me and healing and making me a, a whole person. So that's why I'm a huge advocate for that, that it is possible to have cell phones in prison. And to do it in a way where officials feel comfortable and the folks who are incarcerated feel comfortable and can have access to their family or, or certain members of their family whenever they want to. Exactly. And, and so I'm not promoting illegal use of cell phones. I don't want anyone to get in trouble. I don't want anyone to put themselves in, in, in harm's way uh, at all. So I just, if, if I could just clarify and say that too, that I'm not 
uh, talking about use illegal use of uh, cell phones. I am promoting and sharing why I used an illegal cell phone and why I feel like it. I strongly feel it should be legalized and that it could be it could be legalized. As for TikTok, Adnan is all for it. I've seen the videos. I think they're hilarious. I mean, I think a lot, a lot of people feel like who people who are incarcerated are just these monsters. And as soon as they're going to be in front of you, they they have mental health uh, problems to where they'll just attack you. And that people incarcerated aren't smart. They don't laugh. They don't dance. They don't sing. But people are people. And, and I think that, you know, I'm not a TikTok user, but I think that TikTok is one way and social media is one way for incarcerated people to show the world who they really are and, and how to humanize uh, themselves. Adnan Khan is the executive director of Restore Justice. If this episode resonated with you, surprised you, or made you look at the rules we have for folks who are incarcerated a little differently, take a minute to send it to a friend or family member. And let me know what you thought. As always, you can tweet at me. I'm at ADRS. This is Reset. And I'm Ariel Duhem-Ross. But you don't have to say it that way. If you haven't already, subscribe to the pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or in your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. Will Reed and Skylar Swenson produce the show. Amy Drovdowska is our editor. Our audio engineer is Eric Gomez. Golda Arthur is our executive producer. Liz Kelly Nelson is the editorial director of Vox Podcasts. The mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder composed our theme music. And we're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. We'll be back on Friday. Later, nerds. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.